tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. It has any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome. You're listening to Father Simon Says, broadcasting from a winter wonderland. And I'm beginning to wonder about winter, but ah, it's beautiful to look at out a window. All right, moving along, let us pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us, by that same spirit, to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. The Bible, Hebrews, the tenth chapter. Uh, the the the, uh, the voice of just said that the 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 opening the 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 Bible music seems to be getting louder. Well, same maybe with the, the Lord gong. Is trying to, well, and the gong has been getting louder. Maybe the Lord is becoming more insistent, or or he may be trying to drown me out. Let's go to Hebrews, the tenth chapter, the thirty second verse. Remember the days past after you had been enlightened. Isn't that an interesting uh, phrase that that um, conversion saved? We used all those things, but but the author of the letter of the Hebrews says enlightened. I think that's really kind of interesting that. You know, you hear people, are you saved? Do you know the Lord? These are all good. Oh, I have a joke. <laughs> I can't resist. Uh, the the um, There's this old, old priest riding the, the, the bus, and he's in the back of the bus reading his bravery. And this street preacher comes up and looks at him and says, Brother, have you found the Lord? And the old priest says to him, I had no idea he was lost, and then goes back to to reading his brief. I think it's funny. Oh, good grief. Good grief. That's because I am uh, an old priest. So uh, let's look at what this says in Greek. Why not? That's always good for a a laugh. Uh, Remember, remind yourself of, of of the former days in which... Having been enlightened, you endured many sufferings. That's kind of interesting. It's a little, a little different. Having been enlightened, you endured many sufferings. And what, what the the text says? Remember the past when after you'd been enlightened. 
which is essentially the same thing, you endured a great contest of suffering. Uh, that's that's kind of interesting. Um, uh, the 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 word for con- conflict here is uh, athleticism, from which we get an athletic contest. I, I think that also is very very interesting. So uh, this was this was compared to the the struggles of athletes. Remember the days past after you had been enlightened, you endured a great contest. That really is not a bad way to translate it because it implies an athletic contest. But I wanted to point that out that 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 this is athletic. That that uh, um, you're in a in a boxing match. You're in a you're in a wrestling match. Uh, Saint Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, you, as you know, it's not against flesh and blood that you war, but against powers and principalities. You are in. Uh, a wrestling match, as it were. So uh, I thought this Christian stuff was supposed to be fun. I was going to get saved and everything was going to be wonderful. Oh, it is wonderful, but it's a contest. It's it's an athletic struggle. And just think about that. You know, that kind of uh, shallow approach to, to the, the spiritual life. I'm going to give my life to Jesus and everything's going to be great after that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, it reminds me of a, a movie that I really don't want to mention, can't recommend. It's a it's a, a fine movie except for a few scenes. But um, it's a story of a woman who, who falls in love. She's going to be married, and her mother asks her, do you love him? And she says, not really, Ma. And the mother says, that's good. When you love him, they rip your hearts out. Well, she then falls in love with someone, calls off the first marriage, and is going to marry the second guy. And um, mother says, you love him? And the girl says, something fierce, Ma. And then Ma says a word that I'm certainly not going to say on radio or anywhere. But, you know, love, we, we want to think that love is just this wonderful thing. Love is as relentless as death, we read in the Song of Songs. Uh, um, to love, suffering is the price of love. If I didn't love you, so you fall over a cliff, big deal. But if I love you and I see you in trouble, I suffer with you. And conversion, having been enlightened, is to encounter the light of Christ and and to see this wonderful, beautiful light that you fall in love with. And then because you've fallen in love, with someone that the world, the flesh, and the devil hates, you're in for a roller coaster ride, but it's worth it because the beloved Christ is worth everything. So understand that to be enlightened is to invite difficulty. And and uh, an old gospel song, uh, uh, just as soon as my feet touch Zion, I won't have trouble no more. And, and I remember hearing in the context of a, of a gospel preacher who broke into this song saying, you may ask uh, uh, when uh, you will not have any more trouble. I'll tell you when you won't have any more trouble. It's just as soon as your feet touch Zion, you won't have trouble no more. And I think that's understand this that that's the context of this. You joined in the sufferings of those in prison. Now, I think this refers to the initial persecution in which uh, um, uh, St. James, uh, the first of the apostles to be martyred, lost his life, the, that Herodian persecution. 
about which we read in the Acts of the Apostles. And it's the persecution that really brought about the conversion of St. Paul. So you remember what it was like that you, you joined the sufferings of those in prison. You accepted the confiscation of your property, knowing that you had a better and lasting possession. So don't throw away your confidence. Uh, you will have great recompense. Uh, after a brief moment, he who is, is to come shall come. He shall not delay. We are not among those who draw back and perish, but among those who have faith and possess life. Now, let's look at this word faith in the context. Um, you know, this idea of, of, of uh, the just one shall live by faith. You all know my translation of the word faith. It means trust. It's something not simply done with the head. When I say I believe this means I am of the opinion. That's not what the Greek word means. The Greek word, again, forgive me for repeating this, but I don't think, I know I can't hear it often enough, and maybe some of you need to hear it frequently. When I say I believe in one God, in the Nicene Creed, the profession of faith at Mass, I believe in one God. What I'm saying is what I think I'm saying, <laughs> and what I really mean is I am of the opinion that there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why not? Oh, no, 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 no. The big, big word in the creed is in. Uh, I believe in. You know, uh, the 60s were an exciting time in the seminary. And, and I was certainly a child of the 60s. And I I could have studied harder and all that sort of thing and been less crazy. But, well, it was the 60s. And I remember... Um, uh, then I got into the Pentecostal movement, and there were a number of my professors who just did not like the idea. And I think because it was too traditional. I went from being kind of, uh, well, kind of a hippie to being what they thought was a shameless fundamentalist. So uh, when the recommendation for me to go on, to continue on in seminary was made, uh, well, there were people who had questions, and, and rightly so. But the rector said, you know, I believe in this young man. Uh, Monsignor Lyons said that. Uh, and when I found that out years later, it so strengthened me that this man, who I greatly respected, said that he believed in me. Now, if I say to you, I believe that you exist, well, good, I I'm glad you're taking your medication. But if I say to you, I believe in you, that's totally different. You see what I mean? That in is the biggest word. I believe in one God. I am trusting. The word in Greek, as I'm always telling you, is trusting. And that is guaranteed by that word in, in our translation of the creed. I am trusting one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's look at this. The just man shall live by trust. <laughs> you know, I can, I can, I can say, I'm, I've got faith in Jesus I know he's the son of God. I'm convinced myself. I'm of this opinion. So I'm good. I'm golden. I'm going to heaven. That's not what I mean. Are you trusting Jesus? I, I find it very hard to trust Jesus. I love him. Loving him is easy. He's very lovable. But trusting him? Ooh, well, oh, Lord, can you give me any real guarantees? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, his love is our guarantee. So understand that the just man shall live by trust. There you go. It changes the whole thing. 
And if he draws back, I take no pleasure in him. We read elsewhere in the letter of the Hebrews. Oh, I'm going to get off the track here, but it's a good track to get off of. Our, the, the, side, the sidebar is going to be good. We read in the letter of the Hebrews that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think about that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, I got lots and lots of faith. And of course, that text is uh, uh, Hebrews 11.6. Let's change it. Without trust is impossible to please God. You know, when, when kids are little, they trust their parents, even sometimes when they shouldn't. Uh, I remember a kid back when I worked in the orphanage that, that when I was a student, um, his poor kid was badly deformed because he'd been so abused by his father. Um, and uh, um, he just waited and waited for his father to come on visiting day. And occasionally this guy did, but um, not not much. It was just so sad to see. I, I, I almost want to weep now when I think of it. Um, well... Kids will trust people whom they really shouldn't trust. And, and that's, that's, unless you're like a little child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, that trusting nature of children, you know, you get the coat out of the closet and you hold it up and the kid puts up one arm. Well, then the day comes and he says, where are we going? I said, well, we, I, we were going to go to the store. I don't want to go to the store. I don't, I guess I, well, then it gets worse. You know, where are you going, Junior? Uh, out. Well, I, I'd like to know where you're going. Uh, I'm just going out. I'm going to see some friends. What what friends? I need to know where you are. I'm, you know, you're, 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 you're a kid. You're 15. And you don't trust me. Oh, no, 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 Junior. It's you who don't trust mom and dad because you think they might say no. It is a horrible day in your life when this, this love of your life, the, the apple of your eye, Stops trusting you, Mom. Stops trusting you, Dad. It's a horrible day. Well, if they live long enough and you live long enough, they come to realize you were right. It's usually when they have teenagers of their own. And then they trust you again. But without trust, it is impossible to please God. And people who, who really live by trust are few and far between, and I don't know that I can count myself among among them. In the end, I have to trust God, because whom else am I going to trust? I have to trust God, because whom else can I trust? So I think this is a very, very important idea. The just man shall live by trust. Instead of getting into the Reformation arguments about salvation by grace through faith, etc., etc., oh no, let us remember what it really says, that the just man... Uh, shall live by trust. Let us go briefly to the gospel reading. Um, <clears throat> this is how it is with the kingdom of God. Now, you know my very peculiar uh, uh, translation of the word kingdom of God. I translate it as God's royal nature. In other words, this is what God is like. This is what the king of the universe is like. It's as if a man were to scatter seed. The seed would sprout and grow. He doesn't know how. Of its own accord, the land yields fruit. First the blade, the ear, then the full grain in the ear. To me, this is about the sovereignty of God, that God, God's royal nature, which starts, the scripture says repeatedly, as a small seed. And we're going to see that in the next, in the next parable. It starts as a small thing. You can't stop it. 
that that the kingdoms of this world will try to to sit on <laughs> the kingdom of God and they can't you know in the first reading we we read about the first persecution of the church and it is fascinating to me that governments have always hated the church unless they can control it unless they can make it a sort of department of the state and so often we christians try to conform ourselves to the popular mood uh in order to be tolerated by uh the state and you know the state isn't just people who have the armies it's sometimes people who have the television cameras and and the uh the microphones uh, that we will do anything uh, to please them sometimes and jesus was quite the opposite his kingdom was not of this world so the um uh the kingdom of god is unstoppable uh there's an old uh, Pete Seeger song from my my uh, young hippie days. God bless the grass. Uh, it talks about the concrete gets tired of what it has to do. The concrete buckles and the grass grows through. God bless the grass. Grass is stronger than concrete because grass is growing and concrete is dead. And so this this parable of the scattered seed the seed once planted cannot be stopped. The, the royal nature of God will prevail over the kingdoms of this world. Then the next verse to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like a mustard seed. You've seen mustard seeds. They're tiny. And uh, uh, this idea of the mustard seed being the largest of the plants puts forth large branches so the birds of the sky can dwell in its shade. This was a, 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 um, a way that kings talked about themselves, that they were like a great tree in which the little client kingdoms could, could gather and protect themselves. And that's what Jesus is saying is, I'm just a Jewish carpenter, but guess what? I'm also the Messiah and all the birds of the sky for which I think he meant all the nations of the world can dwell in my branches. And that really came to be uh, within a few short lifetimes after the death and resurrection of Christ. That said, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with letters and uh, we'll open the phones. Do call in at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about the Catholic University for independent thinkers, at relevantradio.com forward slash U Dallas. Frosty the snowman was a jolly happy soul with a corn cob pipe and a button nose and two eyes made out of coal. Frosty the snowman this, made the children laugh and play. Is Were they sarcasm on the point on the part of my my uh, uh, producer, but the voice in my head. I'm looking out at a winter wonderland thinking, hmm, I wonder what it looks like in Florida. But I'm not complaining. Actually, it is very pretty, I must admit. All right, that said, <laughs> let's go to letters. Okay, I got letters. I got letters. Oh, and the phones are wide, 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 wide open. And, uh, um, uh, call in at 
914-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. But we will go to letters. Uh, let's see here. Where did I put the letters? They're here. Okay. Um, let me see the letters. I got a letter here. Okay. This one is from an anonymous listener who's rather upset about something. More than once, I've heard you mispronounce the name Michal as Michelle. David's wife was not Michelle. You know so much about the Hebrew language and Jewish history. How can you make this pronunciation mistake? Well, the way I look at it is I majored in Greek. I taught Greek, classical Greek, for 25 years. And there is a Greek uh, dish called chiros. I think that I've earned the right, having studied it so long and so thoroughly, to call the stuff gyros. <laughs> I kid. But no, the name, <clears throat> the reason I say uh, Michelle, because the names are related uh, um, in, in, in Hebrew. And I say that to avoid confusion. What do you mean? David was married to Michael? We live in a strange time. So <laughs> that's why I say it. So it's Michal. Uh, maybe during the break I can look it up uh, thoroughly, but um, I, I, I have a feeling that, that, that it's a legitimate pronunciation. Uh, well, why don't I look it up right now? I think I got the time, and people can call in at 888-914-9149. He, he cleverly got that in. Let's see here. Okay. Uh, okay, and Michael Michal looking through the window. I don't know that I'm going to be able to get it real easily. Uh, no, no, I'm just getting things about Michael Jackson for some reason. Let me. Something horrible <laughs> has happened. No, 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 it's not horrible. I'll just put in another little thing. Oh, at 1 Samuel 19, 12. And let us look at the word in Hebrew. Um, that's always good for it. Let me see. It is Michal. And the word, the word Michael, Michelle, really is the French version, the feminine, the feminine version of, uh, of Michael, which is an angel's name, uh, who is like God. And, uh, the person who wrote in the letter is actually, well, correct. It's not Michelle, but the reason I do it is to avoid confusion. And, and Michal and Michelle, close. Just an N and an A away. Okay, Michal. Maybe I'll just call her Michal, but that's why I do it. Okay, moving along here. Now, this is interesting. Uh, this is uh, uh, from Annette. Father Simon, does the Jewish faith have an official teaching on abortion? And I, first of all, I think it's kind of uh, interesting that to say the Jewish faith. Uh, that's an odd... Uh, you know, we talk about the Protestant faith, the Catholic faith. Of course, we mean the, the religious uh, dimension of, of, of anybody. But Jews... The Jewish faith, I think Rabbi Lefkowitz might say there's no such thing as the Jewish faith. Judaism is a practice. It's what you do. It isn't simply a religion. It's it's a whole life. Uh, so um, it's kind of hard to say. In general, uh, Orthodox Jews are opposed to abortion. So they get their teaching, their legal and ethical teachings from the Hebrew Bible. You know, there is no 
Jewish pope. There's a head rabbi of Jerusalem, but I think there are a number of head rabbis for Jerusalem. There's a Sephardic rabbi. There's the, the Ashkenazic rabbi. Then there, there is no completely organized hierarchy in Judaism. The Torah, first five books of the Bible, the Talmud, and the rest of the of the Hebrew scriptures are normative. And the Talmud, of course, as I've explained many times, is a sort of collection of of rabbinic uh, rabbinic teachings. So uh, there is no kind of uh, direct uh, uh, statement about abortion uh, in in in, a, in an authoritative doctrinal book. Now, in Numbers, the fifth chapter, the eleventh verse, you have something called the ordeal of the bitter water, which some people say is an ordeal that produces miscarriage in an unfaithful wife. I don't think that that's true. Um, that, 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 uh, let, let me pull that passage up just, just to look at it and, and so that you know what it is. Uh, the, the, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, if any man's wife go aside and act unfaithfully against him, this is, uh, this is Hebrew or rather this is numbers chapter five, verse 12. Um, uh, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, she being defiled secretly, there be no witness, and the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be je- in other words, he suspects his wife of infidelity. Um, uh, the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she is not defiled, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest, and shall bring her offering for her a tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil upon it, nor put any incense with it. Uh, then the priest shall bring her near and set set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel. You think we Catholics invented holy water? No, it's it's a, a Jewish thing. And of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and let the hair of the woman's head go loose and put the meal offering uh, of memorial in her hands. And uh, then the priest shall have in his hand the water of bitterness that causes the curse. And the priest shall cause her to swear and say to the woman, If no man has lain with thee, and you have not gone aside to uncleanness, being under the control of your husband, be free of this water of bitterness. But if you have gone aside, being under your husband, and if you are defiled, uh, then the priest shall cause the woman to swear the oath of cursing. And this water shall cause the curse... Uh, the water that causes the curse shall go into your bowels and make your belly swell and your thigh to fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. So uh, then he will make the woman drink of the water of bitterness that causes the curse. Uh, and and uh, it shall enter into her and become bitter. And when he has made her drink the water, if she is defiled and acts unfaithfully against her husband, this is rather, rather obscure. Uh, um, uh, the woman will be a curse among her people. And if the woman, now they don't say stoner. If the woman be is not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be cleared and she shall conceive. So I don't think that refers, the reason that I read that rather long and obscure passage is because um, I, I don't, I don't think that refers to, um, to abortion. Um, uh, it's a curse of, of, uh, of illness. Uh, that's it. So I don't know that there is, is any kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think there's any kind of, uh, 
authoritative teaching. Um, now, most Jews believe that that ensoulment, the 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 child within the womb, is not um, uh, is not necessarily human until a certain point. Um, rabbinic Judaism does not regard the the fetus, the child in the womb, as being fully human. Um, you kill a day old baby, that's murder. But this is not covered by uh, um, uh, this is th- th- that that rule that biblical rule does not cover uh, abortion. So uh, there are there are many, there are actually many many dif- differences or, or many differences among Jews themselves. However, something that they do agree on um, is that the mother's life always takes preference over the life of the child in the womb. We are very radical about our belief in the sanctity of human life in that no human life. We believe that the child from the moment of conception is human life and uh, no no life may be taken, uh, uh, no innocent life may be taken. Uh, thus, the life of the child and the life of the mother are equal. I don't know if that explains it or helps with it, but the the Jewish, Judaism is really a practice more than a set of doctrines. Um, so they don't have an official teaching, but they have a long tradition. I suppose I could have answered that much more simply that way, but I never answer anything simply. simply. So, yes, I, the voice of my head just reminded me I chose the obscure route. Um, Let's go to a letter from Amy, which says, I see a lot of Protestants frequently quoting this passage, usually in regards to someone uh, feeling signs from a lost one, lost loved one or praying to saints or the Blessed Mother. Ecclesiastes 9, 5 to 6 said, for the living know that they will die and the dead know nothing at all, nor do they have any more reward because all memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love and their hate and their jealousy have already perished. They no longer have any share in the world. Isn't this Old Testament statement no longer applicable to the reality of death now that Jesus' sacrifice opened up paradise for us all? I thought that everyone, everything that's hidden will be revealed. Um, that's exactly so. Uh, that that uh, this, this um, uh, book of Ecclesiastes, I think, is, is it's one of the, the hardest books to to really understand in the scripture and one of the most difficult. Um, it just has a bleak picture of humanity. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's all just a puff of wind. This is what our faith would be like without Christ and his resurrection. St. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are the sorriest of men. And Ecclesiastes is the faith of Israel without the hope of eternal life for the sorriest of men. So I think you're right about that, that, that uh, to quote that, that the dead no longer have, well, uh, the dead no longer, uh, uh, the dead no longer know anything at all, nor do they have any more reward. Well, why would they quote that? Because the scripture is clear. Jesus clearly says that, that, um, we have a reward in heaven. So you're right. And then I'm also confused why sola scriptura believers would keep quoting this 
as I thought by grace alone meant a believer goes straight to heaven when they die. Whenever I question, they say, discounting any part of the word of God is wrong. And it's all perfect and all able to be used for teaching. But the Bible needs to be understood as a whole. Any suggestions for explaining this? Yes, I, I would say Jesus said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. How does Jesus fulfill the book of Ecclesiastes by saying that I will give you deliverance from this grim view of human life? How does Jesus fulfill the law? The law without Christ is unfulfilled, we believe. Uh, what's an example of fulfilling the law? Thou shalt not commit adultery. How do we fulfill that law? By, being, by realizing that our closest friend is supposed to be the person to whom we are married, that it isn't just uh, a relationship of, of uh, practicality or of convenience, that, that a person who is married must pursue intimate friendship with his or her spouse. That's fulfilling the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. How do we fulfill that law? Well, we don't steal. No. We also are generous and give to the poor and to the support of worthy causes. So uh, that's that's the, we fulfill the law. So I don't know that they would agree with that. But the law the law is changed in Christ uh, is clear. Or they they darn well better be abstaining from pork and lots of other things. So that said, we are going to go to a break. We will come back with a word of the day. And the phones are open at 888-914-9149. We will be right back, hopefully. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash Forrester. So and we should pray for peace. I was just talking to the voice in my head about about the screwy situation in which we find ourselves. Oh, peace. All right. Well, let's rely on the promise of the Blessed Mother at Fatima. I think and say and continue to if you if you are not doing it, she asks us to pray the Rosary for peace. A good idea. All right. Let's go to the word of the day. I am taking the word of the day from the Alleluia verse in the in the readings of Matthew eleven twenty five. Uh, Blessed are you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have revealed to little ones the mysteries of the kingdom. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I've shared this with you before. Uh, everyone talks about the Holy Trinity is a mystery. When you and I say mystery in English, we mean the butler done it. I have no idea. I remember we used to say to the dear nuns, stir, how, how can there be three persons in one God? And they talk about, about uh, the uh, shamrock and, you know, the little seven, seven-year-old theologians would say, I don't get it. And sister would say, it's a mystery. Go put your head down at your desk and take a nap. Because, of course, that's what she wanted to do. Well, 
the, the Trinity is not is not mysterious in that sense. If you believe the revelation that God is sacrificial love, that God is love, who's God going to love? If love is the constitutive reality that created the universe and God is love, who's God going to love? Well, us is creation. Then he would be dependent on his, the creator would be dependent on the creation for his existence. And that makes no sense. No, within within God, there is perfect unity and perfect diversity because God is perfect. And we being human and fallible and weak, we approximate that unity. We want to be totally one with the people we love. But then after marriage, we find out that she likes the room warm and you like it cold. Or uh, you think that the floor is the proper receptacle for uh, for wet and dirty towels and she thinks the hamper is you want to be one with each other but it takes a lifetime to work some of these things out we're imperfect our desire for oneness with people we love is flawed god's desire is not flawed so father and son are perfectly diverse and perfectly one this can happen in god so it's not it's not a big mystery in our sense so then what does mystery mean the word mystery comes from a Greek root meaning a thing whispered. It's a secret. So when you say you reveal to little ones the, the mysteries of the kingdom, we think that these great secrets that are held either in heaven or in the Vatican secret archives that we're going to get to know them. No, no, no. You, you've revealed to the little ones, to unimportant people, not to children, but to unimportant people, the secrets of God's royal nature. In other words, the followers of Jesus know what God is like because they know Jesus. Jesus is the secret of God's royal nature. And these these secrets of God's God's royalness are revealed to us in the form of bread and wine. They are revealed to us in the scriptures. They're revealed to us in the person of the carpenter of Nazareth. So, you know, the mysteries of the kingdom are not these great philosophical truths. You know, you've heard me say that Jesus himself Jesus is the kingdom. All right, that said, let us go to phone calls. There is something the matter with your fin. Paul from Orlando in Florida. What can I do for you? I have a question, and I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Yes? Why does God need an army? Which army are you talking about? You know, you're thinking of the heavenly angel, the army of, of heaven, all that sort of thing? Yes. Okay. Or when we talk about ourselves as the church militant, we are the army of God. Because uh, Jesus no, they, says, uh, yeah. well, we're, we're thought of as an army, too. Um, but, you know, the angelic host. Why does God need an army? Well, I, I think uh, um, what uh, I'm looking something up here, of course. What I have done in greater uh, that the the uh, the God adopts us, and I think that God, you know, the angels are 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 in a sense adopted by God too. Um, they are celestial beings who God loves. Uh, that. God, oddly enough, shares his ministry uh, um, with his creatures. 
this is kind of an odd thing, and I don't think many people think of it. It's John fourteen twelve. John says, "Very truly, I truly, whoever trusts in me will do these works that I've been doing, and will do greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father." That that the work of God is shared with men and angels, because God wants to uh, He wants to adopt us. You know that that to say why does God have an army is is to say why does God have sons and daughters why does God have children why does He adopt children because He He wants to share His ministry His work with 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 His creatures that's the best I can I can do you does that make any sense to you Yeah because when I hear the an, an army I'm thinking you know angels with the swords running around going, you know, I'm in, you know, legions yeah. of, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, well, what's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah that's what something I'm violent. About. Yeah. Yeah. Violent, you know, and I, I just, it just seems like, you know, God would say, okay, you, you there, you there, and we're done. Well, that's and, the point of it, that, that God really wants to give us the chance to choose him. Uh, there, there's, uh, that song I was quoting earlier about just as soon as my feet touch Zion. Uh, it's an old recorded sermon I heard ages ago by an old preacher. And he said, there are two kinds of people. There's God's children and the devil's children. And you may ask, when will, when will I have no more trouble? And that this idea of a battle between God's children and the devil's children, that uh, this is about making a choice that you got to choose God or or the other and uh, this is this is the battle that we were in you know uh, the beginning of the letter of the hebrews talks about that athletic contest god could just snap his finger and say there it is but then we would not we would not love him you see you can't love someone without freedom if i'm forced to love you then i can't love you that that the the one great requirement for love is freedom and that's what the battle is about. So it isn't a battle okay. fought with 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 weapons, uh, but with with uh, uh, the truth and with the armor of God. So that's the idea. It's compared to a battle. Who is going to sign up to to for this great contest that we saw mentioned in today's first reading? So I hope that helps a little bit. It does. Good. Good, All good. Right, thank well, you. That's a good question. And I will ponder it more. And if I come up with anything worth talking about, I'll talk about it again. But thanks for listening, and I'm honored that you called. God bless. Let's go to Mark from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Are you with us, Mark? What can I do for you? Hi, Father Simon. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. So what's uh, your question? Well, I'm wondering if you can explain a little in uh, sort of layman's language. Uh, part of Simeon's warning, uh, and thine own soul a sword shall pierce, that the mm-hmm, thoughts of sure. many hearts shall be revealed. Yep, yep, yep. You know, I think it has to do also with something I was talking about earlier, that the price of love is suffering. In this world, the price of love is suffering. If I didn't suffer, 
if I didn't love you, your sorrows would mean nothing to me. But if I love you, then your sorrows mean everything to me. And uh, that that our blessed mother is is the icon of the church. She's the image of the church. She is the. There was a point in history when there was only one person in the church, and that was the blessed mother. She was the first member of the church, and her suffering is about the church's love for Christ, and that's that's why a sword pierced her heart. Well, what's this business about so that the thoughts of many will be revealed? It is fascinating to me how the Blessed Mother really does kind of reveal um, how we think about the gospel in the church. I have found in my life that people who do not love the Blessed Mother generally look at the church as an institution and often don't like it at all. Uh, they see the church as, uh, be it Protestant, Catholic, they see it as an organization. But if you understand that the church is really a family, uh, then the Blessed Mother makes a great deal of difference because families have mothers. So to me, in my experience, the way you look at her is the way you look at the gospel and the nature of the church. You know, um, I, a preacher I know once said uh, uh, that the Christian the Christian army, <laughs> to go back to the army theme, is the only army that shoots its own wounded. You know, that, that we, we so focus on the institutional nature of the church that we forget about the motherhood of the church. And I think that the Blessed Mother, when you forget her, you're, you're on a, a, a course to seeing the, the church as just sort of an organization that is not supernatural. Uh, so the thoughts of many are revealed by her. Does that help a little? That helps a lot. Thank you. All right. God bless. Yeah. That, uh, how we look at the church, I think, is very closely related to how we look at, at our Blessed Mother. Let us go now to Larry from St. John, Indiana. Larry, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Thank you so much for all you do for so many years. Um, I'm oh, just a frustrated, a frustrated 60-year-old Catholic that... Uh, family's been in the Archdiocese of Chicago for about 140 years, came from Poland. Mm. And uh, ah. I just really, I really don't understand all this stuff about be- good priests being canceled, excommunicated. Um, I've been refused communion on the tongue three times in the last year. And I just, I just really don't know which way is up anymore. That's all. Well, you know, I, I think that, how do you deal with it? This, I, I think... My thought is that on a very, very practical level, we are dealing with the stupidities of the 60s. I remember apologizing to a young a young priest for the mess that my generation had left in the church. We, I love history, and, and I, I think people don't realize the, the devastation that the First and Second World War caused in society, and the church is kind of reeling from that blow. And... I think that we can look at the church and say, well, the church this, the church that. I, I was listening to um, the Patrick Madrid's show today, and there was some fellow talking about people get mad at the church because they won't give an annulment or they will give an annulment. And I thought, it's not the church that gives annulments. It's 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 the office of, uh, of, of, of well, I forget which department in the diocese is responsible for that and poor god he's only got people to deal with i mean when you think about it 
you know, he's only got us. And we are very, very, yeah, marriage tribunal, the, the voice in my head just said. And and uh, somebody called into Patrick's show to point out that, well, annulments are not infallible pronouncements. We want infallible pronouncements. And we are, we this period in history is is very much like the Reformation. I don't think most of us realize the disaster that the Reformation was. And I'm not talking about a theological disaster. I'm talking about a practical, I'm going to die disaster. The starvation, the, the war, because of the, the, split, the split in the church, one-third of the population of the German Empire died. And that was a huge part of the population of Europe. Much of the population of France died. Spain and Italy, uh, no, people didn't die over religion because they had the Inquisition, which... I said yesterday, that's a life-saving committee, <laughs> that uh, someday i got to talk about that. Um, everybody says the evils of the Inquisition. The Inquisition spared Italy and Spain um, disasters that overwhelmed the rest of Europe. The wars in England. Uh, if you're Irish, you realize how many untold thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands possibly died. Uh, it may have been even more if you take the whole toll of history because of the, the, the division of, of Christians in Europe. So all that was caused, in a sense, by Gutenberg's printing press. You know, that, that Martin Luther couldn't get information out uh, um, unless, but, but for Gutenberg. The, the ideas of the Reformation, the real founders of the Reformation were people like Jan Hus, who lived a hundred years before uh, Luther. Uh, but Luther was able to get his stuff out and Europe was thrown into chaos. The revolution caused by the printing press is nothing compared to the revolution caused by the technical advances of the past 30 years. Everybody's got all the information in the world in their pocket on a, on a cell phone. Once upon a time, when an idea floated about in the church, it sort of floated about and it floated or sank. Now, the minute the Pope sneezes, it's reported in the press. And it's instantly all over the world. There's no time to consider these things. And we're adjusting to a completely new reality. But we can be glad for two reasons. We have 2,000 years of unbroken tradition, the treasure of the communion of the saints. We have what the saints have written for 2,000 years, and this is the age of martyrs. More people have died in the past century for the faith than at any other time in history. People are giving their lives for Christ by the boatload. And I think history will look back at this age and say it was a great age of faith. Now, the press just sort of broadcasts all sorts of things that once upon a time would have been considered, reconsidered, and considered a third and fourth time. Now it's instant. And uh, I think that, that much of the confusion is not caused by the decisions of the church uh, or of the hierarchy of the church. Much of the confusion, I think, is caused by the, by the ignorance of, of the talking heads of the press. And I think we, history is, is the judge of an age uh, after God. So I would... I would I would look at the positive. A lot of good things are going on in the church, and God will be faithful. I believe this with all my heart and soul. And also, I believe that Drew is coming up because I hear music in my head. And he's someone, he knows, we, we need to pray. 
And we especially need to pray for the bishop, the popes, the bishops and the pope and all those in leadership in the church. 